1: Uh, we've got uh, an actual trade to talk about Even though it didn't just happen But it happened since our last show So we will break down the Randall-Richick trade Blue Jays and Cardinals teaming up on that one And uh, since we don't really have any other deals to talk about uh, We do have some speculation to catch up on you uh, Darvish development But uh, today I'm going to introduce uh, a new piece I sort of alluded to it on Friday's show uh and sort of tweaked it a little bit, what I was planning on doing. Uh, talked about how it actually stemmed from a, a tweet from Alex Chamberlain, who had been on a recent show. And he was saying how uh, we should always look for information uh, that uh, doesn't ne- doesn't confirm what we think, but rather you know, puts it into question. And so I've sort of tweaked that a little bit, and I'm gonna do... Couple of segments here called "Am I Wrong to Think," and I, I, you know, I don't mean "Am I Wrong to Just Think" in general. Uh, that's a, that's a whole different question. Uh, but "Am I Wrong to Think" uh, a certain thing? Uh, so I've got six statements here uh, that I'm questioning whether or not I am right or wrong to think these things about uh, these six particular players. So it was uh, fun to research it. These are all players where I found some. Nugget of information that made me question my uh mo in dealing with that player. So uh we'll see how it goes. If it uh, if it goes well, maybe I can do it again. But uh, anyway, let's get to the news first. And of course the big news is that Randall Gritchick was traded from the Cardinals to the Blue Jays, uh, in exchange for reliever Dominic Leone and uh minor league starter Connor Green. And um yeah, interesting trade both ways. Uh, Grichik is certainly the uh, the big name in the trade, the one who is uh, by far the most likely to make a fantasy impact this season. Uh, but uh, all interesting pieces, each each of the three players, uh, interesting. Uh, uh last year, bad 238 with the Cardinals with 22 home runs. And strangely enough, it, both in 2017 and in 2016, where he put up very similar stats, 240 batting average of 24 home runs, he hit for more power at Busch Stadium than on the road, so I think uh, the instant reaction of a lot of people was probably, "Wow, going to Rogers Center, leaving Busch Stadium, and this is a guy whose main tool is power. This is this is great." I'm not sure how much difference it's going to make, other than I think he'll probably play quite a bit more regularly in Toronto because the Cardinals never really fully committed to Grichik as a regular outfielder. I mean, he certainly played close to every day for stretches. But he had demotions. There were, you know, they've got to have had a log jam in the outfield. So he's had to, you know, rotate to make room for Tommy Pham and Jose Martinez and such. So uh, I think there'll be less of that sort of log jam in Toronto. In fact, they really needed outfielders, which is why they traded for Gritchick. And just before that, uh, signed Curtis Granderson. So uh, I will talk more about this deal. And the latest with you, Darvish, and some Rockies news, and a whole bunch more. But first, we got a break for uh, this little intermission, and we'll deal with all that right on the other side.
0: show and ask your question the number is 844-84-FNTSY that's 844-843-6879 the Fancy sports radio network your free fancy source 24 hours a day
1: Everybody, this is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host Al Melkier. I just had to take a moment there to drum uh, along with Dave Grohl there. Anyhow, uh, as promised, I will uh, wrap up the discussion on the Grichik trade. We've got a lot more uh, other news uh, to get to, but an exciting development today, at least for me. And if you're listening to the show. I think it's probably an exciting development for you, too. Baseball America has released their top 100 MLB prospects for 2018. At the top of the list, no surprise, Ronald Acuna, number one. And number two, Shoei Otane, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., number three. And I'll let you just go to Baseball America and read the rest of it because it would take me a long time to read the whole top 100. But uh, always a cool thing Uh, and always a sign that uh, we're not too far from spring training. So, uh go check that out. so, as I mentioned uh, just before the break, uh, Randall Gricick going to Toronto exchange for Dominic Leone and uh Connor Green and uh Leone uh may not uh be terribly relevant, but uh the, the Cardinals you know don't have a, a, just a standout closing option there, and uh maybe Leone can. Yeah, uh, you know, can step up and do it. He had a very, very good uh, 2017 season, 29% K rate, which again, for a late ending reliever, isn't something that's a a standout rate, but it's it's quite good. At 2.56 ERA, a 1.05 WHIP, so very solid numbers uh, across the board. He's been pretty solid for a few years. Ed Connor Green, who at one point I think was the Blue Jays' top prospect, certainly either number one or number two. Uh, sort of a difficult year in 2017. He's really had some issues with control, but a uh, good ground ball pitcher. Uh, and uh, maybe, get, I don't know, going to St. Louis, uh, probably not really the, the greatest thing for his short term fantasy value because he. There was there's much less depth in Toronto as far as starting pitcher starting pitching is concerned and there's a ton of depth with the Cardinal system but uh if he can turn it around maybe he gets an opportunity uh, at some point in 2018 anyway for Connor Green so uh we shall see how that all goes but let's get to some of the other items uh the Brewers have made an offer to you Darvish and I've not seen any information about the duration of that deal, the amount of that deal. Uh, I, I'm guessing that's still not available because uh, this is news that came out, I believe, on Sunday. Today is Monday. So I don't think there's been uh, anything divulged as of yet. But just the fact that the Brewers are in play is a, is a development there. They had been linked to Jake Arietta a little bit earlier this offseason. They've uh, picked up uh, Yuli Shassin, and brought back Giovanni Gallardo, so they're definitely bringing in the pitching reinforcements. And of course, there was some pretty good news about Jimmy Nelson roughly a week ago in terms of him accelerating his uh, recovery schedule, but th- there's no timetable for him. So they it certainly would behoove the Brewers to bring in a top notch starter, and the market's not exactly flush with that uh, those those types of pitchers. So. Interesting development there, that they are in on Yu Darvish and have actually made him an offer. Another interesting Brewer's development is that, according to Jerry Krasnick of ESPN, that they have been talking to several teams about trading at least one, I would assume multiple, uh, outfielders, because they do have uh, quite the glut there. Uh, it's been reported for a while now that they've been chopping Domingo Santana, I would think Lewis Brinson would uh, probably be in that mix, Key and Broxton. I mean, they've got a, a lot of uh, outfielders. I don't know if Brian Braun is is in that discussion. He was a year ago. But that uh, could be an interesting development, too, and that could really sort of marry those two threads together, that they've got a glut of outfielders, they need pitching, they're also looking for a second baseman. Uh, Jonathan VR I think, will get a shot, depending on what they do. But as of right now, it looks like Jonathan VR would get a shot at uh, reclaiming the second base job. I had read some things fairly recently about uh, there being an interest in maybe bringing back Neil Walker. But, um, you know, that, those are all those positions are really very cloudy right now for the Brewers. The rotation, uh, the, who's going to wind up being in the starting outfielder, who's not going to be in the starting outfield, and how are they going to handle the second base situation? And the Rockies, a few items related to them. Charlie Blackman told the Denver Post that he thinks that he and the Rockies could possibly work out an extension uh, sometime this spring. And of course, that's you know, very speculative. It's not uh, that there's discussions ongoing or, or you know, any development beyond that. But he's certainly open to it. And that's an important story, I think, for for Blackman and how to deal with him. Uh, on draft day, and just to give you an example, I'm doing my first actual draft right now on fan tracks. Uh, there's a beat beat out Melchior league. <laughs> I'm in that league, believe it or not. And uh, I had a, a choice in the first round. I had the 10th pick overall and both much to my surprise, both Charlie Blackman and Mookie Betts were available. I went with Mookie Betts and there's obviously a lot to like about both of them. I have some concerns about both of them. And both of them really benefit from their home parks. I went with Betts, uh, partly because I just have more faith that he will bring that value back. What, what Blackman did last season was really above and beyond, far above and beyond what he had done before. I think there's more upside with, uh, with Betts, not only in terms of just his trend, but also because of his age. So I went with bets, but it was a tough decision. But part of, two, I have to admit, what's been in the back of my mind with Charlie Blackman for the last couple of years is whether or not he'll get traded. And this year especially, with him being in a contract year, that's something I worry a little bit about with him. Because I think he does lose quite a bit of value leaving Coors Field. So I, I went with uh, Mookie Betts. and. Uh, you know, Charlie Blackman, if we, if there's a development there, if he you know, reaches an extension, particularly before you're drafting in your leagues, then that's uh, certainly nothing but good for his 2018 value. Also uh, from the Denver Post, David Dahl has been hitting in the cage, and he is expected to be 100% healthy and ready for spring training. So that's fantastic news. He didn't play at all for the Rockies last season, had a stress reaction in his ribs, something that he sustained very early on in spring training last year. So last uh, time he played the majors, his rookie season 2016, he batted 315 with seven homers, five steals, and 63 games, which speaks to the, the, the power-speed combination that's there, although you know, he had value largely because of that great batting average. But I think that that, that uh, output was uh, wildly disappointing to some owners. Because, uh, you know, the thought was, well, he's been a good state- base dealer in the minor leagues. And he's going to have course Field as a home park. So uh, that's, you know, <laughs> you just right away project great numbers for David Dahl. He had very, very good numbers. And, uh, of course, going into spring training, it's, it's not clear what kind of role Dahl has. So it's great news that he's just about ready. And he is expected to be completely ready. By the beginning of spring training, but in, in another item that was in the Denver Post, the team is thinking about going with Ryan McMahon at first base. Now, this is probably probably doesn't qualify as huge news uh, for a lot of us because uh, that's been speculated upon. But this is the first I had seen where the team itself, that officials from the team had said, "Yeah, we're we're considering Ryan McMahon at first base. We're thinking maybe we don't need to re-sign Mark Reynolds. Maybe we don't need a free agent option." Uh, we've got our solution potentially right here. And, and of course, a year ago, the expectation was that Ian Desmond was going to be the first baseman. And, of course, he was uh, when, when he was healthy. But uh, now it looks like the emphasis has shifted more towards Desmond filling uh, an outfield corner. So that's going to make it really tough, I think for David Dahl to play full-time. And maybe the plan is just to ease him in, maybe as a fourth outfielder, maybe to go back to the minors. I don't know. Uh, but while the, the skills are tantalizing, the potential is, is certainly uh, tantalizing, that there's there's a bit of a crunch there that uh, I think Hararo Parra would be ahead of him on the depth chart. You've got Ryan Tapia uh, in the mix there. Maybe there's just not room for David Dahl. Or on the other hand, maybe he has a great spring and maybe Parra goes to being a fourth outfielder, which is a role that he's filled for a lot of his career. So that whole situation just bears really close watching. The Twins have been tied to all sorts of pitchers. And uh, one of the, the pitchers uh, is Wade Miley. And again, another name that probably won't get you all that excited for draft day and putting him in your queue. But. He had, if uh, nothing else, even if he didn't like what Wade Miley did, I thought he had a fascinating uh, 2017 season. He started off really well, got a lot of strikeouts, also too many walks, to be honest, and then it all just sort of went south from there. But uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about Miley and why Maybe you should care about this uh, after the break. I've also got some Devin Travis news, some Eduardo Nunez news, and also the steep end of the show, some Manny Machado news. So stick around. We'll be right back.
0: Have you ever wanted to have a fantasy expert in the palm of your hand? Or better yet, in the pocket of your khakis? Well, check it out. Now you can. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Download it now to your phone. We promise no weird viruses, no strange tracking things. Just 24 hours a day, seven days a week of pure fantasy knowledge dropping all over your head. It's the Fantasy Sports Radio Network app. Stop being a weirdo and streaming it online. Get it on your phone. Take it with you everywhere you go.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is FanDrag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And I've got a few more news items, but before you know it, I'm going to get to a new feature. Maybe it's a one time feature. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a regular thing. I don't know yet. But it's called Am I Wrong to Think? So I'll uh, we'll get to that very shortly, but let me wrap up my thoughts here on Wade Miley and get to a few other items of note. Uh, so the twins are in on a whole bunch of pitchers, but the latest one uh, that 's been in the news is is Wade Miley, who had a, a not very good season for the Orioles in two thousand and seventeen um, He had some fantasy value a few years back, you know really more just for his his durability, um, you know giving you a lot of, of innings uh, that were you know decent enough. Uh, but last year was a rough one for Miley, but it started out in a really interesting way, where he was getting a lot of strikeouts and doing it in a weird way because uh right away we we in the fantasy community were very skeptical because he didn 't have a very high whiff rate, and his even his called strike rate wasn 't all that high. He was doing it by getting a lot of foul balls. and I wrote, I wrote a piece, uh I think probably about a month, maybe a month and a half into the season looking at what it was behind all these strikeouts. And it's just he was doing a really nice job of hitting the edges of the zone and getting batters to uh, swing at not very good pitches and foul them off and eventually work work into a strikeout. And, of course, that also, (laughs) because he was working the edges, that was also how he wound up uh, getting a higher walk rate than usual as well. And sort of an alarming walk rate, really. But then, you know, once the strikeouts disappeared, um, you know, then really any sort of potential value was gone. But it was about the f- whole first quarter of the season where it really was going well for Miley. And he had an ERA that was right around three. And uh, you combine that with some strikeout potential and, you know, maybe there's something there. And uh, I, I I think I picked him up a couple of leagues and it didn't last really long because it sort of went south quickly for him. But then there was another point sort of midseason for about a month where he pitched really well again. So this narrative, it's, it sort of reminds me of talking about Mike Fiers. Uh, and I remember talking about him a few weeks back, uh, probably right around the time that the Tigers signed him and saying, you know, you look at the overall numbers and you're probably just saying, no, thanks. Not even going to put him on my radar. Maybe not even in deep league's. But Fire's season had its moments over quite long stretches. It's just either he was very very good, or he was not good at all, and that's been sort of been the pattern over Fire's career. Whereas Miley before last season was more sort of, you know, steady but not you know not exceptional, not all that great. Um, but the reason this interests me, it's not because I'm thinking, oh, you know, Stash uh, weighed Miley down on your your. Uh sleepers' list is you know cheap strikeouts or anything like that, and I think it's it's even far more speculative than that, but what always interests me is when I see a pitcher who tries different things and they adapt um and at some point I really do want to dig into that and look for pitchers who fit a certain profile who you know for one year are are really good at getting ground balls, but then they go and they you know they shore up some other part of their game. I'm just really intrigued by that. So I'm not really recommending you to do much about Wade Miley, but maybe just be interested along with me here uh, and, and see where this goes. All right. Uh, on to just a few other other items. Uh, Devin Travis is uh, expected to start running within a month or so, according to Sportsnet. He is coming back from knee surgery. Uh, so as long as he keeps progressing, uh, you know, he should be in that second base mix for the Blue Jays, along with the recently acquired Jan Harvis Solarte. And this is one to track because either Travis or Solarte, were they to actually somehow get everyday play at second base, I think either one is a potential late-round option in a 12-team mixed league. Especially since you know, you're talking about second base, where I think it thins out about as fast as any, uh, any position other than catcher. So... There's not a whole lot of really high upside late round options there at second base. So if either Travis or Solarte emerges as uh, someone who could get a lot of playing time in the case of Solarte, I like the power potential because unlike Randall Gritchick, uh his former home, he was really punished for uh, by the park factor in terms of his extra base power. So the move to Toronto should be a very good one for Solarte if he gets a lot of playing time. Travis His career has been marred by injuries, but when he's been healthy, which has been far too seldom, he's been very productive. It's moderate power, uh, possibility of of hitting for average there. So uh, that's a situation that's going to be kind of a a fun one to watch this spring. Eduardo Nunez, speaking of uh, middle infielders, his right knee is already 100% healthy. So that's fantastic news for Eduardo Nunez. Uh, he hurt the knee uh, in the early in the playoffs uh, last year, and he worked out for the Red Sox, according to the Boston Herald and the Mets, according to John Heyman of FanRag Sports. Uh, the Mets are also interested in Eduardo Nunez, among several other teams. And I'm probably burying this one because it involves Manny Machado. Maybe should have talked about this in the first segment, but this is more, you know, along the lines of kind of a speculative thing for for future impact. So, didn't bring it up right away. But it turns out that the Indians talked with the Orioles about a potential Manny Machado trade back in December. So, nothing ongoing there. But you got to admit, that's a great fit. That's a, the, be a fantastic fit where you just slide Jose Ramirez over to second base. And, man, Machado is your third baseman. And, and, man, would that be great for his value to hit in that lineup. So, again, just something to note. And final piece of news uh, from the Pirates that they uh, released their list of non-roster invitees. And two of them are Kevin Newman and Cole Tucker. And I'm mentioning this because in uh, a piece in the Pittsburgh uh, Trib that there was just a a brief mention that uh, either Newman or Tucker could be uh, the Pirates' shortstop at some point this season, probably later in the season. But Jordy Mercer uh, is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. And Newman's been working his way up up through the system. I would imagine he'll start in AAA. Uh, Tucker played in AA last year. Showed some... Of the two, I, of the two, I'd say right now, I like Tucker a lot more. So in a league like this one that I, I was just uh, telling you about earlier in the show that I'm drafting in, the uh, Fantrax Beat Al Melchior League, which is no... Waiver pickups, no trading during the season. So you just got to set your whole 50-player roster <laughs> in the draft, which is really cool and sort of nerve-wracking. But, uh, you know, so a player like Cole Tucker, maybe there's there's some late-round, very late-round uh, appeal there. Because maybe this is somebody who comes up mid-season and gives you some steals. So he's sort of intriguing. Newman, a very good contact hitter, but not much power, not a whole lot of speed there. Uh, but, uh, you know, a couple of guys who uh, could have some, some fantasy impact uh, at some point in, uh, in 2018. So let's get to it. I've got six players that uh, I came into this offseason with very specific uh, ideas about them. Or about their sort of their situation Uh, on draft day. And I'm really starting to question them. Uh, So first statement here is, am I wrong to think that the second round is too soon to take Gary Sanchez? Now, uh, Fangraphs, we love this. They have uh, NFBC ADP on their site now. So this is awesome. This is going to add another element to all analysis going forward. Gary Sanchez is ADP right now. Of course, very early numbers here, but that's all right. We're talking about current perception his adp is 21.4 so second rounder and just about a format obviously not a 10-teamer but uh even there he'd be in the discussion is the so am i wrong to think that the second round's too soon to take gary sanchez i i've you know i've thought that just mostly just by virtue of the fact he's a catcher and when i think about okay i'm building the core of my team what do i want to come away with in the first two or even three rounds uh, I've talked a lot about you know wanting an outfielder because uh it thins out pretty quickly uh it's no longer the top seven like it was the last couple of years, but you know, after the top ten or eleven it you know thins out So i, I want to get one of those those top outfielders um, you know and and uh you know there's an argument to be made for trying to get one of those top four starting pitchers, and you'd probably have to use a depending on where your pick was uh a first round pick uh, maybe to get one of those four and certainly a second round so you know is is it really worth it to eat up a spot to take gary sanchez just because a lot of projections have him so far ahead of the rest of the field whether it's you've got buster posey's number two or wilson Contreras, and there seems to be some disagreement over that but um you know looking at this a lot closer i'm thinking i'm not wrong to think that uh I shouldn't take Gary Sanchez in the second round I shouldn't take him near that ADP of 21. And and here's the reason why, I mean, I'm actually pretty solidly convinced that Gary Sanchez is going to be more valuable than Buster Posey. I mean, we have a very good idea of what po- Buster Posey is going to give us. He's at the stage in his career where you can't project a whole lot of upside on top of uh, what he's done recently. Um, that that giants lineup has improved this offseason off season. I'm sure it's, I don't think it's enough, though, to really compensate for, uh, you know, comparing him against what the Yankees could do for Gary Sanchez's uh, run production. But it's the other guy, Wilson Contreras. And there's just this automatic assumption, I think, by just about everybody that there's this chasm between Gary Sanchez and Wilson Contreras. And I'm not convinced at all. Uh, now, let me put it this way. I mean, would I rather have Gary Sanchez than Wilson Contreras? I would. But Contreras' ADP is 57.0. So that's three full rounds difference in a 12-team league. 36 spots difference. So if I miss out on Sanchez, okay, I go through the second round, maybe even the third round. No Sanchez. Uh, what's so great about settling, quote-unquote, for Wilson Contreras? Well, I will tell you that. I'll leave you hanging on the cliff here. And I'll tell you that right after this break.
0: If you're playing daily fantasy basketball on DraftKings or FanDuel this NBA season, you need to sign up for daily roto. Built by a team featuring millionaire maker winners and live final champions, Daily Roto's customizable projections, podcasts, strategy guides, and lineup optimizer will help you compete with the pros in a fraction of the time. Better yet, you can save 10% off using the promo code FNTSY. So go to dailyroto.com backslash premium to learn more about their product.
1: Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And I've started a little segment called Am I Wrong to Think? So let's keep it going. And just to remind you uh, where we were in the last segment, I was asking, am I wrong to think that the second round is too soon to take Gary Sanchez? And I'm going to explain why. I think the answer to that question is, no, I'm not wrong to think this. Uh, so there's a almost a 36-spot gap between where Sanchez and Contreras are in ADP, early ADP granted, uh, on an FBC. Uh, but you know I wouldn't be surprised to see that gap hold out as people are drafting uh, in bigger numbers. And here's the thing. So, yeah, Sanchez, based on what he's done and Contreras, based on what he's done so far, yes, I would rather have Sanchez. Would I rather make the commitment three rounds earlier? Absolutely not. Uh, there were some signs last year that Contreras was ready to equal Sanchez as a power source, and I, I think it's you know pretty easy to accept that uh, they should that Contreras will be at least Sanchez's equal in terms of batting average. In fact, I'd probably expect him to be better. Uh, that he could uh, rival him in run production because while the Yankees have put together a monster lineup, the Cubs are. Uh, know, pretty potent themselves. I don't think that's going to be a mark against Contreras. And meanwhile, so the, the the big differentiator, I think without question, is is the power, the expectations of power. Well, last season, Wilson Contreras averaged 352 feet on the fly balls that he hit. Gary Sanchez averaged 339. Now Sanchez. Is It's a lot more, and that's where this argument might feel a little bit weak because Sanchez is more of a a fly ball hitter, or at least has been up to this point. But the ones that Contreras got a hold of went much farther on average, and in fact, only four players who hit 40 or more fly balls last season hit them farther than Wilson Contreras, and you'll like the names on the list. Giancarlo Stanton, Joey Gallo, J.D. Martinez, Aaron Judge, and then number five, Wilson Contreras. So there is serious power there. And if you're concerned about the fly ball rate, well, he did have a spike in July and August that put him closer to being on a par with Gary Sanchez. So I don't know. I don't think there's that much that separates them. I would, I would hardly feel like it was even settling for Wilson Contreras. Now, of course, by the time that, you would have to take Contreras, and again, right now in ADP, that would be in the top 60, so in a 12-team league you're in your uh, first five rounds. I mean, still, you still might not feel ready to take a catcher, but I'd feel a whole lot better using a fifth-round pick on a catcher than a second or even a third-round pick. So, yeah, I'm not going to be drafting Gary, Gary Sanchez most likely unless he, unless he falls, at least to the third round. All right. Next one, am I wrong to think Joe Maurer is irrelevant in 12-team mixed leagues? That seems like a no-brainer, right? I mean, he hasn't been relevant in that type of format in a really long time. But check this out. And, again, this is one that really surprised me because I've I've thought, and, again, didn't even feel controversial, think Maurer is not uh, very relevant in 12-team mixed leagues. Uh, Yeah, he's been a steady line drive hitter even in the last few years, which have been leaner ones for him. He's been good using the whole field. Um, he's been an okay contact hitter, although not as good as he used to be. But in 2017, it was like old-school Joe Maurer. He had his lowest strikeout rate since 2012 and his highest hard contact rate since 2013, which incidentally – or maybe not so incidentally – was uh, the the year that he sustained a concussion, and he really, you know, for years after his numbers just weren't the same. And yet, to look at his numbers from last year, it doesn't really look like it's a different Joe Mauer. Slugged just four seventeen, but his x slugging, if you go to x uh, excuse me, x stats, the x stats uh, website, um, based on. The, the conditions in which he hit and and the angles uh, which he hit the ball and the distance, all that, his expected sluggy was 502, 85 points higher than it actually was. He actually hit seven home runs. His expected number of home runs was 18. So yeah, that's more like vintage Joe Maurer. um So he could wind up being a really, really sneaky late round pick. I think even in a 14-team league, maybe even 15-team league, he could be there pretty late. And it'd be really sneaky. He could, Basically, if you take what the expected stats were for last season, and if he's able to repeat that this year, of course, that's a big if. But if he's able to repeat that this year, you're basically getting Yuli Gurriel production. And Gurriel's current ADP is 204.6. So late, but not exactly you know, last round. Um, So you're, you're getting... In a lot of ways, the, the Yuri Guriel stat line, but with probably a slightly uh, higher average and a much higher on-base percentage. That's pretty cool. So yeah, Joe Maurer definitely has opened my eyes with that. And when you're talking about late-run flyers, again, it's you know if the risk is, okay, well, he, he reverts back to what he was, you haven't really given up that much in value. But the, the potential payoff could be nice. All right, well, here's another one, very similar. Todd Frazier, am I wrong to think... The Todd Frazier is now completely irrelevant in 12-team mixed leagues. That one's only maybe a, a hair more controversial because as recently as two years ago, he was very relevant, very productive in those, those formats. But last year was a big disappointment. Uh, he, he's been trending downward for a couple of years. But he had a, I think, very quietly intriguing 2017 season that he drew a lot more walks. Uh, The strikeout rate came down, but not really, you know, just down from where it had been in 2016, sort of resettled at an earlier level. So that's not that noteworthy on the face of it. But what's up with that, those those twin trends of uh, improvement in the strikeout rate and dramatic improvement in the walk rate? Todd Frazier basically just stopped swinging to pitches, he stopped swinging them outside the strike zone, which is a great thing but he also stopped swinging at them in the strike zone which is not such a great thing and yet in spite of that he had a 16.1% home run to fly ball ratio which is right in line with uh you know the meat of his career and basically he you know he underperformed he under- underperformed a bit in terms of batting average and um i don't know so much about power but he had 27 home runs, so a 30-homer season this year, especially if he just swings a little bit more and maybe plays a little bit more, too, um, that would be really within reach. A 30-home run season, maybe even 35, but let's not get crazy. But he could hit 250 with 30 home runs with, with this more selective approach and a lot more walks than he had in his better years. So... I think Todd Frazier is a nice fallback option at third base, whereas you know he, uh, you know, I didn't look up his his ADP, um, but uh, maybe I can get to that. I don't want to do that right now, but maybe during the break I can I can check on that. But uh, I I imagine whatever it is, he's being undervalued. And now here's one that that's probably, uh, well, I'd say definitely more controversial than either the Joe Mauer or the Todd Frazier statements. Am I wrong? To think that Jonathan Scopes gains in 2017, particularly in batting average, that they were fluky. Because that's the story I came out of 2017 with. That his ascendance into the top 10 in fantasy value among second basemen, which was largely driven by an improvement in batting average, that that really was a fluke. And I realized that might have been wrong. Um, And here's the thing. I mean, it was BABIP-driven. So, you know, Scope uh, struck out at almost the identical rate that he did in 2016. And yet the, the batting average went up from 267 to 293 because the BABIP went up from 305 to 330. And then, you, you know, you look at the batted ball data. Um, you, know, you can go to a site like, uh, you know, Fangraphs or Baseball Reference, look at the batted ball data. And, yeah, he made a lot of hard contact last year. But he just doesn't look like somebody who's going to be, uh, you know, somebody you can count on to hit well above 300 on balls and play, pulls the ball. Definitely. Uh, I mean, not to an extreme degree, but, you know, well above average, um, not exactly somebody who avoids the pop-up, not a big timeline drive hitter. So, you know, what, what, what gives there, but he did make a lot of solid contact and not just, not just home runs. That's something you can say. Okay. Well, you know, he, he hit, some fly balls a long way and hit more home runs, but what about you know the batting average? What about balls on play? Well, I took a look at the Statcast data, um, you know, which breaks down quality of contact. You've got barrels, you've got uh, solid contact, you've got burners and flares, and then you've got you know basically poor contact. Those those top three categories: the barrels, the solid contact, burners and flares, which all have very good production potential. He increased his rate of that as a, as a percentage of total batted balls by 6%, a 6% increase. Six, it's an, I should say, say this properly, a 6 percentage point increase, which is a lot. Um, got it up over 41% total of all of his hit balls were in one of those three categories. So that's you know that that's notable for uh for Jonathan Scope. So maybe that 290 plus batting average wasn't fluky. So maybe I am wrong to think that what he did last year is not a good indication of what he could do this year and that he should be uh, a top 10 second baseman. All right. Well, I've got two more. Am I wrong to think uh and I know I'm coming up on break here very shortly. <laughs> but one of them is Trevor Story. Uh, so I, I've been positive about Trevor Story. I think he's due for a rebound. It seems like everybody's very bearish on him. So am I the one who's wrong about that? And also, Carlos Carrasco. Got a, an, am I wrong to think about Carlos Carrasco? So there's my cue that we got to head into break. But we come back, talk about both of those guys. Welcome back, everybody. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball, or some people call it, Nelly Fest. But uh, anyway, whatever you want to call it, uh, I am in the midst of a series of segments called Am I Wrong to Think? So uh, I've talked about how I'm wrong or not wrong, about uh, some assumptions I've made about Gary Sanchez, Joe Maurer, Todd Frazier, and Jonathan Scope. Let's move on to Trevor Story. I'm going to ask a question, i wrong to think Trevor Story's due from a, for a rebound from last season, because I, I pretty much bought into what he did in 2016. And, you know, I do remember at the time, I mean, you know, first of all, there was the incredible start to his career uh, the first week of that season, uh, which nobody, I think, or almost nobody thought he could, uh, you know, obviously nobody thought he could keep that up, you know, basically hitting a homer a day. But um yeah, I think a lot of people did sort of discount it. But I kind of like Trevor Story even before that, because of the speed power combination that he showed in the minors, and then obviously you toss in the course effect. And so last year, uh, you know, when the, the numbers were uh, much more disappointing, uh, especially batting average hitting only two thirty nine and and twenty four home runs, definitely a a muted output compared to what he did uh you know and again for a part of twenty sixteen because he got hurt. Um you know, I, I just still thought, OK, well, here's somebody because he plays in cores and makes a lot of hard contact that he can hit for a high average on balls in play. And I think he'll, he'll bounce back in terms of power. And one of the things that I, I found mildly encouraging about last year's numbers was that he had 22 fly balls that were 400 feet or longer, which in and of itself is an encouraging thing. A lot of power, a lot of raw power. Only 16 of them were home runs. Now there's a very, very high probability if you hit a ball four hundred feet or farther, it's going to be a home run, you know, somewhere in the vicinity of ninety percent. So conservatively, you could say he was robbed of three home runs, maybe even more. Three or four home runs. So that would have gotten him up to twenty-seven or twenty-eight, which, you know, still is not probably what I would have expected at the beginning of the season, but that might explain, you know, part of the difference. But then you, you factor in that the strikeout rate did come up. Um, and the BABIP did go down a little bit, but what if he could reverse those things, even just mildly, and has better luck on long flies, which you should expect for somebody who plays half their games at Coors Field. But again, going back to the expected stats, his expected WOBA was actually lower (laughs) than his actual WOBA. So so not even... You know, whereas I thought, okay, well, maybe he underperformed last year. He got robbed of a few home runs. You know, that should count for something. Uh, he actually overperformed, according to to Woba. So, uh, am I wrong to think Trevor Story is due for a rebound? I think this is the first one where I, I just have to say, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I have more doubt now. I'll put this way. I have more doubt about a, a Trevor Story rebound uh, than I did. Uh, but, uh, That, you know, uh, that one's going to require a little more research, I think. And then the last one is I'm rapidly running out of time here. Carlos Carrasco, I've come to the conclusion, he's my number five starting pitcher. Am I wrong to rank him that high? Uh, Well, I certainly know I don't, based on my mocks and my current draft that I'm in and and ADP, I don't have to splurge that much for Carlos Carrasco. But I think since I'm running out of time here, I'm going to have to save this one For the next show, because it's worth going through. I think he is way, way underrated in the early drafts so far. And I think in particular, uh, if you compare him to Steven Strasburg, uh, who is a lot of people's choice for the number 5 pitcher, basically either him or Mad Bum. And I've got some real concerns about Mad Bum. Strasburg, I, I think there's an argument that Carrasco is a better choice than Steven Strasburg for your number one pitcher if you missed out on the big four. But I'm going to have to save that argument for Wednesday. So I hope you join me then here on Fantasy Sports Radio, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. And uh, should be a good one. So uh, stick around uh, right now for Fantasy Best Friends Forever. And hopefully I'll see you back here on Wednesday.